There's three main areas I'd like to share with you on this final day in this final conference. First, God desires worshipers in spirit and in truth. And our model is our Blessed Mother, who learned from Jesus, who is God, to worship in spirit and truth. And we need to become adorers, worshiping in spirit and truth. Remember that amen, to adore, to live the moral life, virtue, to be educated in the faith, but to be doers of the word and to never give up. As you advance in virtue, things are going to get more challenging and you're going to fall. It's going to teach you to rely on God more. But the key is to always get up. Never give up. Never give up. Victory is assured. There's the victorious one. O gates, lift high your heads. Grow higher, ancient doors. Let him enter the king of glory. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, the valiant, the mighty. The Lord, the valiant in war, right? I mean, lift up the gates. Let him in, like Mary did. So, to follow up on the sharing on Our Lady yesterday, the segue this morning, Our Lady is a model of a a life that is one of adoration, praise, glorification, blessing, thanksgiving, gratitude. Our, mo- our mother is really a model of gratitude. Man tends to become ungrateful. We need to be grateful. Eucharist means thanksgiving. Eucharistia means thanksgiving. It's nice when people are thankful, right? Especially when somebody, when God has given us so many great gifts. Count your blessings. Don't get angry. Every day, count your blessings. And, and just look at the crucifix five minutes every day. Look at the crucifix. I mean, really. Ponder that gift of love. See, in the life of Jesus, we see that self-emptying We prayed that yesterday, the third canticle in evening prayer. The kenosis, though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God, something to be grasped at. Let's quit grasping. Today's gospel is going to be about if your hand leads you to sin, cut it off. Quit grasping for things of this world. And and, and quit grasping for your identity you're already children of God. You want to know your identity? I'll tell you, you're, you're God's children. Is there any greater identity? Do you need some title? You know, I, I mean, we can, I can order you a nice little thing for your desk. We can call some company and make a nice little thing that says on your desk, I am, I don't know, whatever you want. They'll print whatever you want. You can have it. And they'll put it in your grave with you, too. 
On my gravestone, I don't know. I just want something simple. Here lies someone who loved God, who prayed, who was a priest of Jesus Christ, of faith, hope, and charity. That's, that's it. Or Benedict said, you know, I'm a humble worker in the vineyard. I love that Benedict described himself that way. Pope Benedict is one of the ten smartest human persons who's ever lived in the history of mankind, honestly. Holiness and intelligence combined with humility, amazing. And he just says, I'm a humble worker in the vineyard. When you're working in the vineyard, don't get caught up at looking at the other workers. Then you're not doing your work. How can you do your work if you're looking at the other worker? Oh, look at the way they're not working. Well, you're not working. You're not working because you're looking at them. <laughs> get to work. But know who you are. You're God's children. He gives us the vineyard. He, he planted the vineyard. He gave us everything. All he wants is the fruits. He could do it himself. And so Jesus empties himself. You see, when you know who you are, you can empty yourself. But if you don't know who you are, you're going to be grasping the identity crisis in this world. Know who you are and empty yourself. And give the total gift of yourself, total, free, faithful, and fruitful. It's in giving yourself that you find yourself. Give, give, give. And Jesus is the self-revelation of God. Wow. Mary understood this, not just intellectually, in her heart. And so she became an adorer of the gift of God. Remember when Jesus met the woman at the well and he said, if only you knew the gift. St. Elizabeth of the Trinity really held on to that. If only you knew the gift of God. If only you knew the gift. Now, I know you know the gift, and I do want to thank you for last night for your prayers for the church. That was beautiful. That's what this works. You know, this is a love-made visible retreat. We come before the Lord, we receive love, but then we can give love. And uh, by the way, I do want to, again, address my, my inspiration right here. I, she shared with me that she's having trouble hearing some of the things that I've said, so I'm trying to speak a little bit more into the microphone. But, you know, 30 years ago, she started Eucharistic adoration at her parish. 30 years ago. And she shared with me, she said, you know, the difficulty now, and I might take it into other, other homilies, she said the difficulty now is getting, getting the men to come to adoration. Any of you who are, you know? And then she said, because the men will say, what will the men say? Right. What would I do there for a whole hour? I can sit and watch the horn, uh, corn, uh, uh, Cornhusker game for four or five hours, but what would I do for an hour? 
Well, one thing I want to share with you all is, you know, these little pamphlets by our Sunday visitor are powerful. Eucharistic adoration explains the history, but then it says in here what they can do for a whole hour. There's eight things, eight things. And first of all, then she said, I said, okay, so she said, well, they, what can they do for an hour? So then what was your next advice? What was your next advice if they can't do an hour? You told me. When they said, what would I do for an hour, then you said what? Okay, I'm pulling on her wisdom. Don't try an hour, try a half hour. And They'll find out how fast that half hour goes. But even if they don't get the half hour, so if you can't do a half hour, then let's even say come for 15 minutes, you know? But what can you do? There's eight things listed here. You just give them one of these things. What can I do? One, pray the Psalms or the Liturgy of the Hours. Fulton Sheen actually says for 20, you know, pray your Liturgy of the Hours, 20 minutes, and the rest adore. Okay, that's one way to do the Holy Hour. Two, recite the Jesus Prayer. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's actually been recommended to priests with the current situation in the church when we elevate the Lord in the Eucharist, that we should actually say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Third, meditate using sacred scripture. Fourth, read the life of a saint and pray with him or her. I usually try to pick one saint because you start to learn their way of relating to God and let them be like your spiritual director for a, a half a year or a year. Fifth, pour out your heart to Christ and adore him. Pour out your, Christ, your heart to Christ and adore him. St. Francis had this prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. I adore you, O Christ, present here in all the churches of the world. For by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. That's St. Francis' prayer. I adore you, O Christ, present here in all the churches and in all the churches of the world. For by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. Pour out your heart to Christ and adore him. Six, ask for forgiveness and intercede for others. Seventh, pray the rosary. Eighth, sit quietly and just be in the presence of God. And those are pretty good recommendations. There's some great quotes here from Pope Emeritus Benedict on adoration. I'll give you two of them. Adoration is essentially an embrace with Jesus in which I say to him, I am yours and I ask you, Please stay with me always. I am yours. Please stay with me always. Pope Benedict said that <clears throat> adoration means entering the depths of our hearts in communion with the Lord. The depths of your hearts in communion with the Lord. 
who makes himself bodily present in the Eucharist. In the monstrance, he always entrusts himself to us and asks us to be united with his presence, with his risen body. Okay. So, another thing to help getting Eucharistic adoration in your parish, as I know many of you are involved with that, and I thank you, the Knights of the Most Holy Eucharist, the Fraternal Brotherhood or the Knights of the Holy Eucharist, are here to help in this diocese promote Eucharistic adoration. So ask them to come and speak. And that would be, a, they got little cards, you can ask them, they'll help you. But uh, I'm going to give this to uh, you who are my, one of my inspirations. I know you. I'm inspired because, you know, she's been, she, she can't hear everything I've been saying, but she's just sitting here praying, which is really what it's about anyway, right? So, um, you know, for 30 years she was driving, you know, she'd work in Lincoln and drive back to her parish. And, you know, God just has to love that. God loves that. But uh, we need to help each other. But our mother, again, back to her model, be a door of the gift of God, including the gift of the Trinity who dwells in you. Mary contemplates the gift of God in perfect adoration. Just ask Mary to teach you how to adore the gift. Mary is the perfect praise of God's glory in her soul. Enter into the praise, blessing, adoration, glorification, and thanksgiving to Jesus and to the Most Holy Trinity. That's the Gloria. Just sing the Gloria, those five things. I praise you, I bless you, I adore you, I glorify you, I give you thanks for your great glory. It's right there in the Gloria. I know we'll be singing in Latin again today, you know, so laudamus, you know, and, you know, glorificamus, you know, but it's pretty close, Uh, pretty close to the English. Look into the heart of Jesus and be united by grace, charity, and communion. I share with you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. The beginning of the Mass. The Mass is the ultimate Eucharistic adoration. And obedience of faith to the will of God. Please him and bring others to glorify him. So Mary will teach you these things. But you know, when we celebrate the Mass or enter into the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, there's, there's four main prayers or praises that we enter into. I have a little prayer I pray before entering into Mass. I won't go into the whole thing, but, you know, I offer this.
Eternal Father, I unite myself with the offering of Jesus and with Mary at the foot of the cross and all the sacrifices of mankind to adore you. And I have some things I say. To adore you on behalf of all of mankind. To thank you. Adore you. Secondly, to thank you. Thank you. I thank God for even what he did not create. In his wisdom, thank God he did not create six-foot mosquitoes. (laughs) That's just one example. But there were things he did not create in his wisdom. Or even within ourselves, uh, I'll go a little deeper, there's some things he chose in his wisdom uh, that we needed. You know, some people, if they were too physically attractive, they might lose their soul. So God, in his wisdom, chose, you know, certain hereditary aspects. Padre Pio used to, you know, smile and and have a little humorous conversation with God because Padre Pio used to fast all the time, right? He said, but God chose to keep me fat. (laughs) 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 So, I mean, here's this guy fasting all the time, but, you know, to keep him humble, God kept him fat, right? Or, you know, another, another great one of Padre Pio, just to, you know, so many great ones. But one time he's walking along and, and somebody says, in Italian, of course, but I'll say it in English, you know, may Padre Pio live forever. And Padre Pio walked up to him and said, what did I ever do to you? <laughs> <laughs> This is not our home. Yet in the presence of the Lord, we're already a foretaste of heaven, right? You know? So, adoration, thanksgiving. We have to be grateful for creation more than the devil hates creation. Give God thanks. Then reparation, third reparation. Reparation, 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 repair. I know some of you are probably promoting the first five, first nine, first Fridays in your parishes, love of the sacred heart, and the first five Saturdays for the reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Very important. Um, Reparation. And then forth comes petition. Petition for, you know, needs. But, you know, a lot of people, it's been noted by some saints how, you know, we, we, the way we treat God, you know, many, not you, but I'm sure, you know, come in, they open the door, they t- tell God what they want God to do for them, and then they leave. Well, at least they're praying. But adoration, thanksgiving, reparation, petition, right? 
And that's what we actually do in, in, in Eucharistic adoration as well, okay? So, first is learn from Mary how to be an adorer, how to worship in spirit and truth. Contemplate the gift of God. Live adoration. And bring others to adore. The second thing, I already touched on it, but I thank you for all your service to the church. We need each other. Let's rejoice in the way that people are are giving themselves to work in the Father's vineyard. And let's be supportive of each other in all the works they're doing in the vineyard. You know, the, the, the harvest is rich, the laborers are few. I gave a retreat to the priest of the Archdiocese of Mount Hagen in Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea now has the faith for 74 years only. There's 8 million people in Papua New Guinea. But I said to the, the priest at one point, I said, if any of you are you know, still caught up in competition, I'm a priest, so I know how it is, if any of you are caught up in competition and comparing yourself to others, why don't you just think about this? How about if every other priest in the country left and you had all 8 million people to yourself? Would you want that? I mean, I've been in situations where, you know, I look out and I have over a hundred, you know, a hundred or so people lined up for confessions, and I'm thinking, can I get a little help here? I mean, I'll do it, but you know, I'm, I rejoice when the other priests come in. You know, we're in this together. But I mean, all of us are in this together, right? We're one body. We need to support each other. We have different, you know, there's different gifts, but the same, you know, spirit, right? Different ministries, but the same Lord. This, you know, different different works, but the same God who is over all and in all. You know, we're, we're baptized into one. We belong to each other, and the Lord teaches us that. But we need to support each other. We are in the minority in this world. <laughs> There's so much work to be done. Pray for laborers in the harvest, please pray for vocations to the society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity, vocations, but not just my, our community, that people will go where God calls them to go. But prayer for vocations in the holy hour. But again, back to, you know, getting men to come. Uh, when, when a, you know, it, when a father brings his children to an hour of Eucharistic adoration, that impresses the family forever. I've seen it. We thank God for the wonderful women. Women are more naturally pious. But we need to get the men. And when the dad brings the sons and the daughters, it affects them forever. Get them to pray the rosary as a family. Turn off the smartphones. You know, and families that pray together stay together. We know all of this, but, you know, just planting those seeds, reminding people, reminding people. But, 
imploring the Lord in the Eucharist, in our Eucharistic adoration, for the grace to open up people's hearts. We need to pray that we have the words in the Holy Spirit to say, but we also need to pray that people open up their hearts to receive what God wants to give them. So I pray for the grace for people to receive the grace. I've learned to pray that way. I don't just pray for the grace. I pray for the grace for people to receive the grace. Okay? The last thing I want to share is Jesus wants to share his life with us, everything, his breath, his heartbeat, his affections, his desires, his thoughts, his will, everything. And so he gives us himself in the Eucharist body, blood, soul, and divinity, really, truly, and substantially present. Always remember these seven aspects. So many people talk about the body and blood. Amen. Great gifts. But it's soul and divinity. But most people don't reflect on what the soul means and what the divinity means or the real, true, and substantial presence. There's a spirituality in each one of them. And even more challenging is one, you know, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, and that's what they're called. They're not called Eucharistic ministers. They're extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. Extraordinary. That doesn't mean the priest goes and sits down and, you know, he's the ordinary minister. Let's pray. But then even the extraordinary ministers will come and say, uh, who's distributing the wine? And uh, I mean, uh, I go, you mean the precious blood? Uh, oh, yeah, Father. Who's distributing the wine? Uh, okay. You mean the precious blood? You see, we need to refer to these things. Not, I'm not talking, I'm not here, I, I see good. I'm not trying to, to say anything about any kind of criticism here. I'm just saying we need to keep referring to the sacred species in a sacred way, and that will bring people to the consciousness that they need. The most holy Eucharist, right? Now, for yourselves, I'm, I'm sure you're aware, but you know, to help people understand, we do offer the bread and wine. We offer that as the f fruits of labor of mankind, and we place ourselves on the paten and in the chalice and all the people that we love and are to pray for on the paten and the chalice. But after the epiclesis, which is the calling down of the Holy Spirit, and by the way, we all need the Holy Spirit to live our baptism in a special way for the consecrated to live your vows. You need the Holy Spirit you see, the Holy Spirit in the Epiclesis plus the words of consecration together bring forth the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. It's not just the words of consecration. So we who are in consecrated life, you know, I can say I'm consecrated, but I need the Holy Spirit to help me live that consecration, right? Because the dynamics change for all of us, right? So I have a promise of, let me give you an example, a promise of celibacy and chastity, right? 
And when I'm in my house with all my brothers who, you know, we shave once every four days or whatever, when eventually we ha- we have to, and, you know, uh, you know, anyway, live like men and, um, you know, I don't have a lot of challenges, but I remember when I was in Rome riding the train, the subway, you can call it. And in Rome, every country has its own kind of weaknesses too. So Rome, one of the weaknesses is, you know, they have, you look at the statues they have. I mean, the, the, I'll say it, the idolatry of the body. And so I'm on this subway and we're all packed in like sardines. And I'm sitting there. I'm just trying, you know, to get where I need to get. And right here, right up against me is like Sophia Loren, hardly dressed. And we, I mean, we should have been married. I I mean, I have nowhere I can go. I'm like, Lord, Lord. I mean, I'm invoking the Holy Spirit. I got to live my promise. I mean, God puts you in that situation. I was not looking for it. I'm like, oh, this is a a good one, Lord. I mean, you know, just, really? And at the same time, I'm trying to evangelize and preach, you know, preach the good news of, you know, you're always invited to the Catholic Church, but keep my eyes like this. (laughs) Oh, wow. So, I remember the story of one of our pioneers in Papua New Guinea going there. You know, Papua New Guinea uh, for a while had, you know, cannibalism. And the priest got off the plane and, uh, you know, uh, he he, he got off and and they could tell that he was a little bit nervous uh, because they were looking right at his heart, I guess, um, that's the most delicious part. <laughs> and they also think that, uh, you know, you gain power by eating that, you know, the heart of a strong person. But anyway, and um, they said, Father, Father, don't worry. We don't have any more cannibals here. We just ate the last one. <laughs> but... But the real point I want to get to is, so he started teaching. He gets off, you know, and, and there, you know, the, the, you know, there was a lot of tribalism and people are simple. I mean, this is missionary work. And so the women would wear like these grass skirts, but they wouldn't wear things up top. And so, so he's telling them how they need to cover up top. And so what they did is they pulled their skirts up here. And he said, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, but if, if you have a promise of chastity and God puts you in those situations, you just have to say, Holy Spirit, help me. You know, I mean, God knows what he's doing. 
And so Holy Spirit also with the fortitude to go into a country where they might be looking at your heart and thinking it's delicious, you know? I mean, you just persevere. God will take you through it all. But you have to call on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the consecration bring forth Jesus. Too many people don't call upon the Holy Spirit. In the Mass, we have the, what we call the epiclesis, the calling down of the Holy Spirit. You need to call the Holy Spirit down on your consecration and baptism to live it. The, the Holy Spirit and the words of consecration, and, the, and then the bread and wine are transubstantiated, the substance. Here's, here's how the miracle works, okay? You see a miracle at every Mass, Let me share this with you. At the Mass, let's just take the bread. The bread has a shape. It's round. It's usually white. You know, it's wheat, but it's usually whitish in color. It's got a certain shape and a size. Those are called accidental properties, according to uh, um, Aristotle. Size, shape, weight. You know, if I change my size, shape, weight, I'm still Father Zachary, the mother of God, right? Those are accidental properties. But the substance of who I am is what's important. So there's substance and accidents. Accidents are not like a car accident. They're accidental properties. By a miracle, this goes beyond nature, At the words of consecration after the epiclesis, what the Lord does is he takes out the substance of the bread and he puts in his substance, but he keeps the accidental properties there. Right? Are you with me? Nowhere in nature does that take place. If you take out the substance, the accidents must go with them. If the substance of me, if I, if I die, my hair goes with me. Now, my hair may be leaving me before I die, but because my hair is just an accidental property, that's okay. But to understand, that's a miracle. Nowhere else in nature can you take out the substance and the accidents remain. That's transubstantiation. So that's why with the wine, there's still, there's still an alcohol percentage, and it needs to be at least 12% alcohol. It has to be 12% alcohol, so it's not grape juice. There's some dispensations in the church, but a minimum of 12% usually between 12 and 18%. But that's an accidental property. The color, the percentage of alcohol, the the, the liquid form or appearance. But the substance of blood goes in there. And it's not just blood. In each species is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus really, truly, and substantially present. In both species... So many people act like, you know, well, can I get the body and then the blood? You're getting the body and the blood and the soul and the divinity in either species. You understand? And personally, I'm, 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 I'm big. I'm so much in favor and currently in the church. Let's just get back to the. 
the species of the consecrated host because people are making this mistake of, you know, here's the body, here's the blood, plus accidents can happen. You spill the blood on carpet, I mean, it's hard, but it is what it is. People, you know, you're denying me, so we, we go forward. But for a valid mass, only the priest needs to consume the precious blood. Now, here's what happens. After the consecration, you have what's called the consecrated host. What we call the Eucharist. That's the most holy Eucharist. When you receive the consecrated host or the most holy Eucharist, then it's holy communion. Because that's when you have union with God. Understand communion. So these are the distinctions, but it's important to understand the gift of communion. It's not communion right now with the Lord in the monstrance. That's we're adoring the most holy Eucharist or the consecrated host. You understand? Or the sacred species. We're recognizing the divine presence or the real presence. These are the proper terms. But those terms have meanings and significance. That's why I'm sharing it with you, not to show that I know certain things. I'm sharing it with you because we need to educate other people because people are just walking around again. Who's going to give out the wine? Mary had seven swords go through her heart. At least I only get one. But, you know, we love people. And we don't beat them down. And we're great. We, you know, we know that they know and they understand. Let's hope. You know, but we need to help them. You mean the precious blood? You mean the body? You mean the, 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 the most holy Eucharist? And, and whenever you meet a little a, a child after they've had their first holy communion, I mean, they can teach us so much. I hope you sometimes reflect back on your first holy communion. Reflect on that. Never lose sight of that. Remember that day? And whatever saint that day of that day, that was one, that's one of your patron saints. The, the day of your baptism, the day of your first Holy Communion, your first confession, your first um, your confirmation. If you've taken promises, I took my perpetual promises on the Feast of St. Therese. I became, or I was ordained a deacon on the Feast of St. Francis. Ordained a priest on the Feast of St. Veronica Giuliani. I know these ones. They're my friends. Confirmation, perpetual, and felicity. I need them. And uh, they're, they're, they're tough. <laughs> they're tough. Therese is a tough t- novice mistress. I mean, you know, everybody thinks, oh, little Therese, you know, just a little flower. Or Francis just running through the fields of the flowers. and just Yeah, really, right? If you know their lives, and, and you know. <laughs> I'm grateful for who's been given to me. I, I, I have a relationship with all the saints, but um, we have to remember those days. But when somebody receives their first Holy Communion, you know, say, what was it like receiving Jesus? Encourage them, you know. We need to do this from the time they're young. I learned in the Philippines, it's amazing to see how when, when we have these uh, processions of Our Lady, they're so important. I understand a lot of it is cultural and, dev, you know, um, devotional. But, hey, that's where it begins. And it's beautiful when the little kids come up, 
you know, with their little handkerchiefs. This is what they do in the Philippines, and they have the they have the statue of Our Lady or or the crucified the the crucified Lord or the the black Nazarene carrying the cross or the the Jesus in the tomb uh, behind like plexiglass. But the kids will come up with their handkerchief and they're all touching, you know, the handkerchief, you know, and, and they treasure that handkerchief. Moms carrying their little children in these processions. That affects the faith. It really does. We need to encourage these young ones, you know, and let's remember the importance of that. What was it like receiving Jesus? And you ask them that, it's actually going to increase your devotion. And you mean you get to receive Jesus every day? Yeah. You know, I, I remember, and this is the thing is, I mean, even myself as a religious and a priest, uh, God forgive me for when any time I, I take it, it just for granted because he's in my house living there with me. A parallel would be, I remember, you know, I traveled for many years, giving many, many missions and retreats, and I'd be getting on a plane quite often. And, and I, I do have to admit, I got to a point where I was like, another plane trip, another, you know, this, that, the other thing. I was feeling a little bit of uh, self-pity. And I got on the plane, and, and this time we were actually going to Orlando, of all places. And so there's a lot of young kids that are going to go to what's over there? I think Disney World or something like that. And so they're there and they're going to have their first plane ride. And I mean, you know, these young kids and, and we start to take off and I'm sitting there, you know, thinking, you know, I'm ready to pray my, I'm praying my rosary and my breviary. And I mean, it's good, but I'm thinking, you know, another plane trip for the Lord. Okay. But then the Lord gave me this gift, you know, as soon as we took off, the, the, the kids go, wee. We're flying. And I had to remember, get back to that. You know, I start taking it for granted, but whatever happened to the, we're flying. We we're receiving the Lord. You know? I mean, let's get back to being as children. Therese, tomorrow, be childlike, not childish, childlike. Okay, so let's go through, in the next, uh, we have, you know, let's say 10 minutes, and then we'll repose the Lord, and we have Mass at 10 o'clock, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. I'm just going to give you some meditation starters. I could... Again, just like with, you know, love is patient, love is kind, an hour on each one of those subjects. But meditation starters, take those seven aspects, body, blood, soul, divinity, really, truly, substantially present, and reflect on what do those mean. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? One loaf, one body. But remember, the Lord says, this is my body given for you. What does that teach me? I am supposed to be giving myself to others. And I'm supposed to mean it as a priest when I say those words in consecration. But all of us, 
You give what you receive. But we are the body of Christ. All the members are connected. We have to have concern for each other. If one member suffers, we all suffer. We're all suffering with what's going on in the church right now, right? But if one member's honored, we're all honored. We're one body. The body of Christ. He is the head, but that also gives me a lot of strength. He's the head of the church. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. Now let me note The church fathers referred to Mary as the neck of the church. So all graces come from the head through the neck to the body. And some people will say, Jesus, yes, but church, you know, I I, I don't need, you know, they'll say, I don't need organized religion. They'll say things like that. I don't want to go into it. But we do need organized religion because God always called together the assembly, the ecclesia. Ecclesia comes from Greek words that mean we're called out from and we're called into a body, into an assembly. God saves us as a people, yet judgment will be individual. You know the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, hell. It's individual, but... He wants to save us as a body. We need each other. One of the reasons you can read in Dominus Deus, Deus, the the day of the Lord written by John Paul II, St. John Paul II, there's many reasons why we celebrate as a community on Sundays. One is to look around and say, where's that member of Christ that isn't here? Maybe they're sick. Maybe I need to go visit them. What's happening? We need to be concerned for each other. We're one body. The very body of Christ. And so we're also a temple. The body of Christ is sacred. We're a sacred temple. But our body is to be an offering. God gives us a body to be able to offer ourselves. Jesus is both priest and victim. O salutaris hostia. Salutaris hostia means saving victim. O saving victim, opening wide. Jesus is the priest, the victim, the temple, and the altar. My heart should be an altar, an altar always offering up Jesus that I'm united to. In the Holy Spirit, one body. But you can reflect more on what does the body of Christ mean? What does it mean to be a member of the body of Christ? Am I really concerned for my, my brother and sister? We need each other. Body. But remember also the body is going to be what happens at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass? Blessed broken and given away. The only way you can be given away is if you're broken. We all like to get blessed. I like blessings. I hope you like blessings. I like blessings. But to get broken? Really? Broken? Yes, in order to be given away. Blood. As I shared, 
I mean, really understand we are blood brothers and sisters. We receive the same blood of Christ. We have the same blood in our veins. We belong. We're actually blood brothers and sisters. Hello, brothers and sisters. You know, and let's be concerned for each other that way. But more importantly, it's the blood of the new and eternal covenant. A covenant is an exchange of persons. You can read Scott Hahn's book on a father keeps his promises. He goes through covenant history, the covenant God had with Adam and then Noah and then Moses, David. Oh, well, before Moses, Abraham. David. Right. What was it? Let me get it again. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. But it was each one of those covenants was broken is the main point. The devil overcame weak man. The covenant was between God and man. So what did God do? He sent his only begotten son, the God-man, and the blood of the new and eternal covenant is established in the God-man. That's the reason it's the new and eternal covenant, because the devil will never overcome Jesus. Amen? Never. The blood of the new and eternal covenant. We belong to each other. Bone of bone, flesh of flesh. With God. Our covenant is with God. A covenant is, not, is beyond a contract. A covenant is not just a contract. A covenant is an exchange of persons. You belong to me. I belong to you. That's what marriage is. You see, a lot of the problem with marriages today is people look at marriages as a contract, and I can break the contract. No, you can't. It's a covenant. Covenants cannot be broken. The blood of the new and eternal covenant. Claim that blood. We called that blood down upon the church yesterday. That's powerful. The blood of Jesus gives you the victory over the five enemies. Sin, Satan, death, the flesh, and the world. Those are our five enemies. Jesus has the victory through his blood. The blood of the new and eternal covenant. Renewed at every holy sacrifice of the mass going out gathering people into the covenant. What does it mean to be a covenanted people with God? God, you know, his chosen people were tribal people, the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. We, we have to always remember, in a way, there is a goodness to being a part of a tribe. In fact, when people are getting married, and I'm doing marriage prep, I tell them, again, marriage is to be Total, free, faithful, and fruitful. Fruitful means fruitful. No use of artificial contraception. Have as many children as God will give you. And I tell them, have a tribe. At the end of your life, you're going to be happy. Here is my tribe. People only have one child. Guess what? They end up in nursing homes, and they don't even get visited. I've seen it time and time again. But that's a whole other story. The point is, we are in a covenant We belong to God's tribe. He'll take care of us. A covenant relationship. God will remain faithful. And this covenant is in the new and eternal covenant, the blood of Jesus. Soul. Here's one I want to get to because a lot of people don't understand the soul. Okay, the technical definition of a soul is the animating principle of 
an organic body. Okay, that probably didn't help any of you. Anima Christi, anima, soul, anima. What, an, you know, animated, you know, okay, I'll, I'll, get, I'll, make, I'll get really low. You know, animated cartoons, animated, like movement. Soul gives you that movement, that's, that, 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 that animation, being animated. But the animated principle of an organic body or the organizing principle of an organic body. The soul is everywhere. It's holding the body together. The body is not greater than the soul. The body needs the soul. The soul is spiritual. The soul's primary functions or the faculties of the soul include the memory, the intellect, and the will. Let's just keep it simple. The memory, the intellect, and the will. So when you receive the Eucharist, you receive the memory of Jesus, the intellect of Jesus, and the will of Jesus. This is my main point. Do you claim that? Put on the mind of Christ. You receive the mind of Christ in the Eucharist. Wow. You receive his thoughts. You receive his wisdom. You receive his affections and desires of his heart. That's his will. You receive his good memories. Understand? Work on that. I can only give you, you know, I have like four minutes left now. So soul, reflect on the soul, but I really urge you more than even body and blood, work on the soul because most people don't understand that aspect of the Eucharist. And then the divinity That's the communion, Jesus, who is God with two natures. He's a divine, Jesus is a divine person with a divine nature and a human nature. True God and true man, but he's a divine person, the eternal word, who assumed our human nature. So he has absolute communion with God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit And he has the beatific vision within him. He has the infused virtues in him. All this is theological, but the main point is, as I said the other day, when you receive the Eucharist, you also receive the Father and the Holy Spirit. But only Jesus is in the Eucharist, but technically concomitantly. You can look that word up in the dictionary. Concomitantly. Where Jesus is, there is the Father and the Holy Spirit. You receive fire when you receive the Eucharist. You receive the Holy Spirit. Let him consume and transform you in the fires of divine love. So theologically, I have to use the word concomitantly so that I'm teaching properly. I'm not teaching heresy, okay? Just like when I talk about consecration to Jesus through Mary or in Mary, that's the proper consecration. But in my practical life, I just say I'm consecrated to Mary, okay? I, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I understand this. When I receive the Eucharist, I'm looking forward to receiving the life of my Father and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I don't say, and I'm going to do that concomitantly. It's just too much for me. I'm just a simple little guy, honestly. I wish I never had to talk ever again. I would love it if, 
if some Saracens, which were a branch of the Muslims, would come in here and cut out my tongue right now, I would be so happy. I would. I just want to love and pray. Pray and love. But this is one way I do it now. I'm doing my penance for being an attorney's. And you're doing your penance for me being an attorney. But you receive divinity. And then really and truly, now really and truly, okay, God is really and truly present everywhere in a special way in the word of When you come into the Mass, you can remember M-A-S-S, the word Mass. Jesus is really and truly present in the minister, the priest, M. He's really and truly present in the assembly, A, us, the body of Christ. He's really and truly present in sacred scripture, S, right, in the word of God. And he's really and truly present in the sacred species, the other S. But only in the sacred species is he substantially present. Two places is he substantially present, his substance, in heaven and in the Eucharist. All the other sacraments bring us grace by the action of Jesus Christ. Special grace, actual grace, particular grace to special sacraments. But only in the most holy Eucharist do you have the physical substantial presence of God for 20 minutes. That's the best way to conclude right there. I mean, really. I remember meeting Father Robert Fox at at, uh, Hansville, the Fatima priest, very holy priest. After the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, he would just go sit out there for 20 minutes and just, you know, put himself in the back and nobody talked to him. Everybody wanted to talk to him, but he just, for the last six years of his life, he just knew what was most important, just these 20 minutes. I wish we could at least give him three minutes. Give that thanksgiving, please, at the end of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. I tell you, it's a crucifixion for me to have to process out and, and spend my time shaking hands. But I need to then, at the same time, I tell myself, I see Jesus in the other, our other because they received our Lord and I have the Lord in me. And I'm, I'm trying to come up with some type of justification why things change. Because in the past, I would just, you know, just keep kneeling here for at least five minutes and then go out. But it is what it is. But you can stay and give thanks. You have, I mean, honestly, connect with that physical presence, God touching us, the touch of God, the touch of God. So you can take these reflections with you. Go deeper, as I ta- taught you over this weekend. Go deeper. Keep going deeper. What does that mean? What does that mean? Remember, don't ever ask why. Don't ask why, please. I'm telling I'm just, as your brother, I'm telling you, you. You're free people. You can do it. Why is it so cold? You know, you're just going to get more ice dumped on your head. Okay, why? 
How about how can I best glorify God in these circumstances? That's the best question. How can I glorify God in these circumstances? But we need to be a people of adoration, thanksgiving, reparation, and petition. We need to really understand body, blood, soul, and divinity really, truly, and substantially present. So the theme of this whole retreat was love made visible. Here's love made visible. You actually get to have communion with love made visible so you can go make love visible. We did some of that last night through that prayer. We moved from our own healing to the healing of the world. Love made visible. We've given you many tools. They're just tools. What is good for you, take. What doesn't help, I will not be offended. Take what's good, leave the rest.